Hello, and welcome to the Meeple in a Game Stack podcast, a podcast all about board games. Whether it's getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. This is podcast number 47, and as always, I am your host, Mitch Brown. And we got a whole lot for you guys on today's podcast. First off, we're going to have the community question, and the community question is going to be a really good one this week. Secondly, we're going to be covering a really interesting new game that we've played recently, and then we're going to be moving on to the featured games, which are... It's an Oom Games double feature (laughs) with Battle Bears and No Escape. So, first off for the community question, we have... What are your favorite game mechanics? Asked by David. And I think anyone who's listened to the podcast for a long time will kind of have this sussed out by now, but personally what I enjoy in games, I really like the sense of progression and kind of the arc that deck builders lend to their games. And to me, I certainly have a cutoff for the definition of deck builders. A lot of games will have deck building in their title, and when you have a very small pool of cards and you can add a couple to it throughout the game and you might cycle this once or twice, I really don't consider that a deck builder. It has elements of deck building, which (laughs) I guess makes me sound like a crazy man to anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, but generally I regard deck builders as games focused around decks and building them. And you're going to probably start with 10 cards. You're going to add probably triple that throughout the game. You're going to cycle through it and Certainly, at least more than once. If it's what I would call a real deck builder, someone has complained about shuffling happening too much during the game, because most of them you shuffle your deck every time you cycle through, and it's just a thing that you do lots in them. And I really love these. I really enjoy the sense of progression, the arc. You start with piddly little actions. You've got a tiny little deck that's even, like, awkward to shuffle when it's just ten cards, and or whatever you start with. And generally the actions or things that this lets you do are very small, and by gradual steps and bites, maybe every turn you pick up a card, maybe it's more than that. But as you keep going and and going, you grow this tool, your deck, and start adding stuff to it and maybe pruning things from it. And what it lets you do slowly builds and builds and builds in this nice ramping up of excitement, as well as even physically, because your deck gets chunkier and more satisfying to shuffle. It's a tactile pleasure of it, as well as the sense of progression that this gives. And I really love deck builders. I really enjoy that structure that kind of runs through all of them. And I find that really interesting. Though he did say mechanics, so I'm going to list at least more than once. Yes, deck builders and deck building, I guess, I do really love in games. But if I had to say a couple more of my favorite mechanics, I think easily dice rolling is something that I enjoy in games. I enjoy the risk of you're not quite sure if what you're doing is going to work out. I like that there's some variance to what you're trying to do. What you're trying to do shouldn't always be a sure thing, and I think, uh, I mean, it certainly can be, and you can structure games like that, but I enjoy the randomness that dice can give, and I guess a big asterisk on this one is when used correctly, because there's a lot of times that dice can just be poorly implemented, or just randomness for randomness sake. And that's a really tough definition or line in the sand to draw, because what you feel like is poorly implemented randomness is kind of a subjective thing based off of people, but I find that there are ways of kind of getting a perfect balance of randomness in your game. It should be 
mostly knowable or should there should be ways to control what you're doing and kind of hedge your bets on stuff. Or if you put more effort or points or whatever and you can make things more of a sure thing. But having that little bit, that tiny percent that it won't work or it will work really well is really interesting. And I think something that hugely illustrates this is the popularity of tabletop role-playing games. Most of them, there are alternate ones, but most of them center around rolling dice. You have stats and you have a character and you have a situation and all that imaginative and creative stuff, but they inject randomness into it because it makes stuff more interesting. It makes it more fun. You can have huge successes from nowhere. You can have huge losses when everything looked like a certain deal. And just that touch of, I guess, chaos and unknowability really enhances the story, and I think it does so for board games, when used correctly. (laughs) And lastly, I would say, for my personal favorites, this is less certain than the first two, I think, but worker placement is something that I quite enjoy. Having kind of this race to pick up spots of what you're going to do in a turn, I really enjoy, and being able to block people, and preferably, I tend to enjoy ones where you have a couple shots, or at least more than one round of worker placement, or meeples to put into spots. Um, I've found that hugely enjoyable. Champions of Midgard, A Feast for Odin, really these kind of where you have to compete for what you're doing, I think adds a nice level of interaction into games that could become, all too easily become, you know, multiplayer solitaire, where you're not even dealing with anybody else. I think it adds a great level of interaction, as well as it forces you to kind of dynamically plan your stuff. If you need wood this turn, and then you just miss out on the spots, I mean, you should have tried to go for it more, but having that kind of forced need to react to that, I think is great and livens up games. So I do quite enjoy worker placement as a mechanic as well. So deck building, dice rolling, and worker placement are kind of my three favorites. And yeah, great question. Thanks for the question, David. And if you would like to ask a question on the show, please shoot me an email at meeplinagamestack at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and feature your question on the show. And now moving on, next off on our recently played games is I actually got to check out a now a few years old Kickstarter sensation, and that is Seventh Continent. And this is the classic edition. So this is the retail edition. Now that the Kickstarters or yeah, Kickstarter or Kickstarters that have run their course, they are coming out with this retail edition, and it's called the Classic Edition, but it is just kind of retail. It doesn't have the Kickstarter extras, and that's kind of it. This is designed by Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter, published by Sirius Pulp. So, if you missed the boat, much like me, on the original run of Seventh Continent, what it is is a basically a choose-your-own-adventure game. It's not. It's structured kind of in the same way as a choose-your-own-adventure book, but... This is all done through decks of cards, and you'll have the starting sort of mystery where you were on an expedition to this place and you've mysteriously been called back. You choose what campaign or curse you're going for and then explore the island. And this is really interesting. It is, it is at its heart, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book. There are mechanics within it, and you have not quite stats, but you do have a deck that you can improve and different abilities that you can give yourself through that. But... Ultimately, it is very much a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. And I found this to be a really good way of doing it. First off, it's not just as, I guess, binary as a choose-your-own-adventure book, where it's just choose the thing and you did it. You can actually try to do things here, and they give you a 
you have a deck of cards that represents your stamina. Once that's out, you are on the verge of losing the game by dying. But within this deck, the cards, apart from drawing them to try to see if you win, if you can complete challenges, so say you're trying to hunt a fish or something, you know, stab a fish with a spear, you have to draw from this deck to see how many successes you get based off of the hardness of the task, and then you flip cards and you can see if you've beat it or not. And within this deck, it does give you basically special abilities, sort of. Most of them are quite regular abilities, like making a campfire or making a, a spear to go hunt those fish. I guess hunt is hunt the right word? Anyway, to go fishing with? To go spear fishing with? <laughs> but what this does, I think, is just certainly makes it more of a game. It's kind of unfair to call it a choose-your-own-adventure book because it's certainly, there's more to it than that and there's more meat in it. And I found with the cards thing, because if you try to choose your own adventure book, sometimes I think the downfall of those is that because it's so linear, you can't have challenges. So if you just choose the wrong thing, you lose. In which case, I think in most adventure books, I think everyone is kind of guilty of this. You'll flip to a result that you don't like, you read it, and then you flip back to the page that you were on and then choose different. This one makes it so that it's not quite so win-lose. You can have kind of varying win success states, I guess, or failure states. And you can be winning or losing on much more of a gradient than yes or no. But also with the cards, this is a great way of locking off info so that you can't quite just check that page and then flip back if you don't like it. You have to draw cards based off their number out of these huge decks. And even it kind of prevents any kind of snooping. And I found this to kind of be a better way of locking off info than, you know, classic choose your own adventure stuff. With the spearfishing thing, yes, it's much less, well, it's a survival story. You just appear on this island, and challenge number one is just making sure you don't starve to death. So you have to craft food, make sure that you can catch something to eat, or find something to eat, find shelter and rest, which lets you basically reset your stamina deck. If, you know, that thing that if it runs out, you'll die, which is thematic and works well. And yeah, it's certainly just survival-focused like that. And mentioning that card flipping for successes, an interesting twist here is that they say, except for a few select events, in which case you're not allowed to do this, if you're doing a challenge and you need to, say, get three successes and you flip two cards and you don't get it, you can actually just keep flipping. So you can just choose to win, basically, by flipping more and more and more cards. But since those cards represent your stamina, that's like you spending more effort on the, on the task. And kind of managing that efficiency and trying not to spend too much on tasks that aren't that important is an important part of the game. And I guess is worked well through it being a survival aspect, because otherwise it would be really tough to kind of have that sort of dwindling resource type thing. But I really like this twist here where you can basically, if something's important enough, you can just choose to win. Sometimes, of course, there are harder challenges which give you a set number of cards that you can flip. And those are kind of much harder things. But this system kind of lets you dig your own grave if you want, because it allows you to, yeah, try too hard on something and just drain too much waste energy on a task that maybe isn't worth it. But it also lets you, if something's really important and it isn't, you know, locked off or anything, you can just keep trying at something, which I quite enjoy. And I think is kind of a misstep on other choose-your-own-adventure things. Generally, it'll give you one shot at a thing. And if they have a system for success or failure, usually it's a success and then you're done, or failure forever and then you're done. And it could be something like build a tent, or build a shelter, 
And I understand, yeah, you could break materials, but you can just keep trying to do that. If your first tent falls over, you can just keep making another lean-to or TP or hut or whatever. Yeah, I think this system is really well done in there. That being said, this game, with its survival focus, is skewed to be hard, and losing is very disheartening, which I'm not sure are the best choices for this. It is skewed to be quite hard. You're in a rough survival scenario, and there are still outcomes that can just kill you, or are so severe a setback that it's basically going to ruin your campaign, I guess, or adventure journey, whatever. And because failure and success are such a gradient, it can just set you back so far that failure is pretty much guaranteed, but that isn't the direct end of the story. It's just... I feel like if this was a more story-focused game, then there's better ways to do that. With it being a survival focus, that's interesting. But when you lose in this, if you die, it's such a bummer that it's kind of a bizarre choice, I think, to kind of expect you to play through these a few times. Or not play through them, to attempt them, like, over and over on the same sort of thing. I'm not sure how much of a fan I am of that part of it. I wish there was kind of a more interesting way and maybe having different successes or failures. Like you could get a different outcome if you fail really hard or you get not quite the good ending or bad ending, multiple endings and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about it. So yeah, I'm going to keep playing this. This isn't a final verdict by any means. It's certainly very interesting and has some clever bits, but there's some things that I don't like as well, so we'll see. <laughs> But yeah, that is Seventh Continent, the classic edition. All right, and now for our feature games, Battle Bears and No Escape. So first off, why the double feature is because Oom Games, O-O-M-M Games, is actually a local company for me. I live in the same city as them, and I didn't really think there would be any board game publishers anywhere near me, so it was very cool for me to find out that I had one that was in the same area as me, so I, for a while now, have been planning on doing a feature on their games. And also, in a, I think, step for the podcast, I've actually received games from them as review copies. So, of course, I am featuring these two games, but you should keep in mind that I have received review copies of them for this review. Yeah, and it was really interesting. I actually got the games from the designer himself, Jonathan Thwaites, and had a chance to talk with him, which was really interesting, and it was a cool experience to kind of meet some of the faces behind these games. So yes, these two games are both from Oom Games, and the first one I'm going to feature is Battle Bears, designed by Jonathan Thwaites and Brendan McCaskill, published by Oom Games. So what Battle Bears is, is a battle royale where you are bears. It does what it says on the tin. In it, you will play your own hero bear who is stranded on this strange planet, and you will equip yourself with different weapons and such, and have to eliminate the other players to be the last bear standing, in which case you win the game. You'll do this by picking up different items, equipping them on yourself, using some special abilities, and moving around a hex-based map to try to get the best position and get to different items and stuff. But this is all complicated because the Huggable Swarm has encircled all of you and is swiftly closing in. And at the end of each player's turn, they actually have to put another Huggable token onto the map. They have to be, you know, kind of starting at the edges and then working their way in. 
but the player, the current player actually controls where their token goes as these pink, adorable, zombie-like bears are closing in from the outskirts. What this does is give a hard time limit on the game and forces everyone closer and closer because as this adorable pink swarm fills off parts of the map, it actually removes tiles of the map. So the, the area in which you have to play gets smaller and smaller and smaller, which forces everyone to finish the fight and for someone to emerge the lone victor. And yeah, that's kind of it. All you are doing is trying to emerge the lone victorious bear and win the game. And for me, I think this is just yet another lesson for me of don't judge a book by its cover, because I was actually much less interested in this game because of its art style. It looks very much on the outside like it's very cutesy and for kids or, you know, small children. And it actually isn't. I mean, it is because it does work. They're bears and you're fighting off, you know, evil pink teddy bears. <laughs> um... But it actually has a few touches that it knows exactly what it is, and even it, like has a few more adult kind of twists in there that I still... It actually reminds me of like early 2000s media that plays with kind of the old tropes, and this kind of plays with the cutesiness of the characters and the swarm coming in and treats them all in a kind of humorous way. It's a little tongue-in-cheek in it, and I found that kind of hint of personality into it totally reverted me on the art style of this. It is awesome that they are evil pink teddy bears that are coming for you, and that's like the <laughs> the wave that's coming in towards you and what you have to escape from. <laughs> I actually found that really funny. And makes teaching the game actually pretty humorous when you get to pitch that <laughs> this terrible wave of destruction in pink bear form is coming for you. So yeah, once again, <laughs> I guess I've been proven wrong of the don't judge a book by its cover. For the actual gameplay, this game is very rules light. It's great as a kind of pretty quick game to get up and going. You could certainly use this with teens and kids or just people that you want to, I guess, as a gateway game to get more people into board games or just as something quick and fun to bust out. The ramp up time to the fun is quick, which is great. The teach is not too bad. And interestingly, there's a few clever twists to the design of this. It sounds pretty simple. Yeah, you're just fighting each other as the map gets smaller. But here they also did some interesting things. You do pick up items throughout the game. You can go to certain spots and kind of pick up additional guns and melee weapons and various different things that basically let you be a more effective fighter. But as you pick them up, they all have a little weight rating. And the amount that you can move, or so the amount of hexes that you can go through each turn, is dictated by how much you're currently carrying. So you can kit yourself out and have two huge guns and the best armor and all that, but that means you're going to be able to barely move each turn. And when it's a battle royale like this, positioning is a huge part of that. So it's an interesting balance there where you either go under-equipped and more maneuverable, or you go in more, I guess, more heavily equipped, but less able to position yourself in a more advantageous way. That's a really nice touch, and it's very simple. The terrain, so yeah, you can move a certain amount each turn, and if you just move through the grassy spaces, it's one point for every space, but there are more difficult spaces to move through, and some that are even impassable altogether, and some that block ranged weapons, which are an interesting kind of tactical thing, and give some nice meat to the bones on this. I would like to see a little more. I think this is ripe for an expansion that could add, like, 
more hazardous terrain or things that might push and pull you around the map. Just different kind of quirks on the terrain a bit. And the Huggable Swarm, the adorable pink teddy bear uh, horde that is full of murder, is absolutely necessary because this is a battle royale game. Everyone is usually does not want to go in guns blazing, and since it's such a standoff, when you kind of fight somebody, they will take some of your health, which can lead you vulnerable to other people. So there's the first part of the game is going to be everyone kind of scooping up weapons and stuff, and it's all to see who's going to make the first move, because whoever makes the, starts the first fight, of course, will weaken those two and open up different opportunities for people. So this kind of closing of the map I think is absolutely necessary for this game. If it, it wasn't in there, this game could take like four hours if players were just being stubborn or really defensive. And with that, it keeps games lighter and quicker. That was just a great touch to kind of combat that very tentative defensive period and give that a defined amount of time, basically. I also enjoy that the huggable placement, so when you put these little bears out, it's actually done at the end of every player's turn. This actually is great because it just circumvents any kind of complicated rules for where you would have to put them, or like a dice or deck or something like that to randomly put them, and lets players actually try to affect each other negatively. So you'll have people who are trying to steer the swarm towards somebody who's on the other side of the map, or trying to cut people off or have them surrounded by these bears so that they take some damage. Because, yeah, these bears are a distinct threat. You can absolutely just die to the swarm if you're not careful enough and kind of hang out too far out on the far edges. One thing I've left out is if you are eliminated, if you're, you know, you lose a fight, you're gunned down by the other players, they reduce your health, you actually turn into a huggable, so each character's figure, which there are some pretty nice minis included in the game, each one comes with a, a huggable, so these evil little teddy bears in their color, and once you die, you actually spawn as one of those. Your moveset is limited, and there's less you can do, but you do get some benefits for targeting the person who killed you, so it's an interesting way of venting the possible frustration of player elimination. But interestingly, that's not it, because you still go on every one of your turns, you're still in the game, and now at the end of your turn you place two of these huggable tokens. Now you are actually accelerating the end of the game from the first person, first person being eliminated, it gives the game that much shorter of a lifespan, and gives the player who's placing those tokens more options to try to mess with the players. But also... When you die, you actually are on the huggable team, the zombie team, basically, and you can actually win the game as that, so it still keeps you in the game. Even though there is player elimination, you're still in the game and can still win. And this is for everybody, so if you play with a bunch of players, as people get eliminated, they'll be on the huggable team. You can try to... <laughs> and now I've said huggable so much, it's weird that it's become just so regular to say. <laughs> um, but as players get eliminated, they become part of this team and will try to be winning the game, which they do by, if you can get basically the entire map filled with huggables, or if you can eliminate all the remaining players all at the same time. So it's certainly that is hard to do, and I don't think many games are going to be won by the huggables, but because it's in there and because you're still technically in the game, it does, I think, undercuts a, the biggest drawbacks of player elimination. and allows this last man standing battle royale game to feature player elimination but also take away all of the 
well, not all of the, because people will certainly maybe have vendettas against the people who killed them, but most of the kind of sour feelings about being eliminated and having to sit out for the rest of the game, because you're still in it. And I, at least in one of my games, found this to be almost more enjoyable, because it turns into this interesting puzzle of trying to lock people off and close off as much territory as you can and speed up the end of the game while trying to make sure that maybe they don't fight so that you can try to win the game. It's a really interesting twist and makes it, I think, really elevates this game a fair bit from what could have been a very generic or just alright game to one that is pretty good. And quite a good time to play. So, Battle Bears does actually get the Meeple and GameStack shelf-worthy award. It's something that's worth checking out. If you, like me, are a bit put off by the art style, please don't be. They certainly have enough kind of character in there that it makes it quite enjoyable. It's a pretty fun and pretty solid design, and I think ultimately is quite an enjoyable game. I think this is one that necessarily is going to be fairly aggressive. Yeah, if you just want to chill time with a cup of tea, this is probably not the one, but if you want to get at each other, or especially families, I feel like families often want to take that, and kids or teens will love this. I think it will be quite a good time for that kind of audience. So yeah, Battle Bears. Surprisingly, I quite liked it, and it's worth your time, so check it out. And one thing I forgot to mention, an interesting touch here is they have the regular rulebook, but they also include a little comic, which does teach you all the basics of the game. You could just hand someone the little comic book, they could read it, it's fairly entertaining, but it also teaches you the very basics, which is great. And that's kind of an interesting on-ramp. I've seen learn-to-play guides and then the regular rules book before, but the comic version is a new touch, and that was interesting. I quite like it, actually. And next up is No Escape, designed just by Jonathan Thwaites this time and published by Oom Games. And what No Escape is, is you are on a space station that is self-destructing. It's gonna blow, basically. And there is only one escape pod left, so you have to try to be the first one off and survive the space station. How you'll do this is by starting from a cent central tile in the middle of the table. Each turn you will place a tile, and then you will roll and move your little figure to try to get off. The first player that can escape the tiles and get off the board basically wins, and escapes and wins the game as everyone else explodes in the space station. But interestingly, you have to place a tile every time, and this expands the map. So, since you want to be the first one off, you're actually going to put your tile in the path of everyone else and try to make the path in front of them much longer while you try to, you know, pick the shortest path off the space station so that you can be the first one off. It's a race game where all the players are actually extending the course as you go to try to, you know, be the one to finish first. In this deck of tiles that you'll draw from every turn are also action cards, which let you do some interesting effects to fiddle with the game a bit. They let you maybe swap out tiles. If someone puts one down, you can put your own, or uh, let you turn players around or kind of move them around in various negative effects. Also included in this are ones that cancel the other ones. You have basically abort actions, ones that'll cancel out the other action tiles. A couple interesting things here are... As you move, you move one space at a time, your little meeple going across, and the tiles have various forks, branches, straightaways, roundabouts, whatever, and they'll have varying amounts of spaces on them. So you could have a straight path that is actually just one space, or you could have one that's four or five, and it is in tiles no longer, but is actually longer through the spaces. 
and in the rules of this is that you actually can't turn your player around each time you just move forward and each time you hit a fork you have to pick what direction you're going to go and you can't turn around until you reach a dead end which lets there be some interesting it's almost like programming more than moving your figure and it lets people kind of pull some fast ones on each other as they build the map out in front of people because you could make if they're about to escape you could make the path in front of them really long and then end in a dead end and they still have to run to the dead end and then back to turn around and head back to try to find another way and also this place is small enough that the players will kind of run into each other and they will bump each other around. If you're behind someone and you move forward, you actually scoot them forward unless you spend a energy token, which is a resource that every player has to be able to jump people and to move extra space. But you only have three of these, so you have to choose wisely when you spend those. And that is the game. It is exceedingly simple to teach and get going. It's really, really rules light, and I think it makes a great party game or gateway game, or, I mean, I can even see it being a good drinking game. It is very, very, very quick to teach. It takes about as long to explain as it does to just get the components out of the box, and then you're just off and off to the races. So I think this would be a great one for families or for bigger groups, which I think it does kind of have to play with at least four people. As much as it's a two to eight player game, I don't think two or three really shows off the game very well. And I think these larger groups are actually going to be where it shines. And while we're listing pros of it, the placing tiles in front of opponents is great. And that is, the I think, the main part of the game is this kind of building the track in front of your opponents to make it longer for them so that they have to navigate more and building the racetrack quickly in front of them to stop them from being able to get off is really interesting. There's some clever things you can do there with the tiles and making a network and maybe you make a really long one or you loop people or give them dead ends. That being said, it is exceptionally take that ish. It is a weirdly aggressive game. I think both of these, both Battle Bears and No Escape, are games for people who want to compete with each other or get at each other a bit. But No Escape does that in the best way, because that is kind of the core of the game, is literally from the first turn, you're going to have to put the tile somewhere, you're not going to want to put it in front of yourself, so you're going to have to put it where someone else was going, unless everyone heads the same direction, which they probably won't. You're just from the hop going to be messing with the other players, and that is what the game is. And since that's so core to the experience, it really doesn't come off as, like, as cutting as it could be in other games and just kind of makes it the experience. So it's kind of the best the best use of that kind of feeling in games. And yeah, since the rules are so light here, it handles higher player counts quite well. But also, since everyone's playing these tiles, at least one on every turn, you kind of have to pay attention to how the map is evolving and where people are going as they go, as well as with the different action tiles and abort action tiles, you have to pay attention to what other people are doing because some of your actions will basically mess with the other players and you want to use that at the best time. So your turns are quick and simple, but also everyone else's turns are still interesting to you, so you're engaged the whole time, which is quite great here. And I think that's a huge part as to why it does so well with higher player counts. Another good thing is that it kind of has a weird sense of team spirit, which is bizarre since everyone's out for themselves and it's only one player can win which kind of equates to you being on a bunch of teams, and all these teams are opposing whatever player. So you have this weird sort of camaraderie with not letting certain people win, but then 
You also don't want those teammates to win, but when you're trying to not let them win, the other person's on your team doing that. So there's this weird kind of camaraderie that runs through it as you're actively trying to stop everyone else from winning and working with other players to do that a bit. It's a very bizarre dichotomy, and all of these things kind of lead to this sort of unique experience here. This is a very different type of game. And as much as it's very different, of course there are things that I didn't like quite as much as well. I'm quite divided on this game. It was a very different experience, but there's parts I really didn't like, and there's parts that I really did like. And having covered the good parts, here's some of the bad things. I guess first off, the rulebook could use a little polish. There's some things that are left ambiguous, or not said quite as directly as they could be, or maybe in the best order for people who are learning the game. And you can kind of really see that here, and it's been interesting for me as a reviewer to kind of interact with Oom Games, who are a much smaller studio, and it's weird to be able to kind of have enough of sense of games to be able to pick that out a little bit. So yeah, the editing on the rulebook is not quite as tight as it could be. Of course, it's still functional and you're good to go, but there's some things that you might have to occasionally can be a bit obtuse. Another big con, and this one is really personal, is that, ooh, I don't really like the art style of this game in places. I think the cover's fine, and I think the artist that they went with is quite good at making kind of dynamic lighting and doing kind of good lights and shadows and interesting kind of illustrating of the environment a bit, but some of the line work in this game I really bounced off of pretty hard. And of course that's personal preference, but I don't... There are certain parts of the game that are not quite up to snuff. I mean, compared to 2020 or 2021 board games, we are spoilt for incredible art in games these days, and I think that has made everyone's kind of standards rise quite a bit. And they're like the back of your little character cards, which you pick a color and it ultimately doesn't matter what color you are, but on everyone gets a matching character reference card, which tells you what you can do on a turn in what order, which is really helpful. But on the back of it, you have a character name and a little like ID sort of thing. Cool, thematic, kind of unnecessary because all the characters are, are symmetrical anyway. It doesn't matter, but oh, some of the art on those were, I just, yeah, I found I really, yeah, it would have been something that I would have left out. So yeah, just some things that I didn't enjoy about the art of this game. And that being said, with these little player cards and the different colors, I think it would have been a really great, like, maybe optional rule or module or something to include to see maybe giving everyone a little asymmetric player power. I think it works fine as it is, but if you're going to include the different characters on the back of these cards, why don't they do anything different? If you're going to characterize them, why not give them, like, it, it's just a bizarre choice to me to have them give different names and appearances and all that stuff without doing anything mechanically to kind of differentiate them like that, and you're assigning characters, then why aren't they different? And lastly, we come to my biggest gripe with this game, and that is, on your turn, you'll play a tile, you have the opportunity to play one of these action tiles, but you also then move your character. And this one is you roll to move. You roll 2d6s, all of them have 1, 2, and 3 on them. And I found this to be the weakest part. I really enjoyed the tile laying where you're building a map in front of people, and that kind of aspect of it was really good, and there was a lot to work with there. I think that's a great idea, and could even spawn other games in the like. It's kind of a new thing, and I quite enjoyed that. But the roll to move, I found... <laughs> 
speaking of dice mechanics earlier, I found didn't give you enough control over your character. Yes, it included randomness where you can have turns where you move six, and that's often how people win the game. You have turns where you can get, you know, two ones and barely move at all, and that's a bummer. And it's surprising, but I found that you didn't have enough control over your turn or your movement for that turn to really be satisfying. It's just kind of a thing that is. And of course, you hope to get lucky, but mostly you'll just get in the middle because, of course, it's 2d6 with 1, 2, 3, all of which have two faces. So it makes it a nice kind of bell curve of what you're going to get between the two of them. It's, yeah, it's all right. It's perfectly functional, but I feel like this holds the game back a bit from really shining. It gives you something to do on your turn other than place a tile, but it's not quite, I feel like it's a missed opportunity there. Yeah, I would just would have liked to have seen maybe like a little subsystem of some sort, like maybe a trick-taking. If you play a card of the same suit, you get medium movement. If you play a higher number of the same suit, you get the really high movement. And then if you can't match the suit at all, you get low movement. And then a hand of cards to kind of give you a little bit of control over the randomness. But yeah, just as it is, I feel like it's just a just a rough part of the game that could have been better, I think, ultimately. And that's no escape. It's a really interesting combo, and I am fairly conflicted on it. The parts that I don't like, I really don't like, and found myself bouncing off, but it was still ultimately a lot of fun. It Yes, there could be more done with the rules, but since they're so light, they do just kind of get out of your way, and you can start playing with a big group of people, which is not nothing. That is, you know, commendable. And it's nice to have kind of this more, it's one of the simpler games that I've taught to my board gaming group. And with that, we just got to start playing immediately, which was really nice, actually. So yes, this is very much a lighter game and meant for kind of larger groups, but that's what it's trying to be. And I think it does that quite well. And the tile placing thing is a really great mechanic. I do really enjoy that part of the game and was a lot of fun. So ultimately, this one is fun, and it is going to get the Meeple in a GameStack shelf-worthy award. But just know that maybe it's not for everyone. If you have a small group that really wants chunky and thinky games, this is really not for you. But if you just have a larger group, or people who are kind of newer, or just something that you want to play quickly and be able to teach quickly, this is kind of a weirdly unique experience, and something that I think is absolutely worth trying, and that I think some people are really going to love. And I found myself having fun with it, so ultimately, it was a really fun game. And what more can you ask for? Those have been the Oom Games and the Oom Games Special, the double feature. And that's going to do it for our podcast. As always, big thanks to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as our intro and outro music. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've enjoyed listening to it and maybe hearing about a couple games that you probably haven't, then please share it with a friend. It's the best way to grow the podcast and help us out. Of course, if you want to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, that of course can help us escape the nightmare space station maze that is the algorithm. So we would hugely appreciate that. Five stars if you could. And look forward to next week where we will be kicking off another designer month. And this one is a designer that I personally really love. So really looking forward to that. So stay tuned. But as always, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.